Africa, a land of natural beauty, home to a diverse range of cultures, languages, and human history. From the Great Pyramids of Giza to the UNESCO World History Sites located at the Great Zimbabwe, this is a continent bursting with potential and endless possibilities. It's known as the cradle of mankind for a reason. Every human being on this planet can trace their ancestry back to Africa, from where the earliest known humans originated. So why is it that when a group of British schoolchildren described what they thought of Africa, their responses included, I thought it was like what you see on the news, straw hats and fighting, and I thought all the people were poor, and that they don't have any technology. How did the cradle of mankind turn into the epicentre of despair? Let's find out in today's episode of Africa, Africa. We'll be taking a deeper look into coloniality. Slavery and colonialism are among the first factors that come to mind when asking why Africa is doing so poorly in the eyes of the rest of the world. It's obvious that literally enslaving tens of millions of human beings, depriving entire regions of their doctors, their leaders, their architects and their engineers will severely impact the development of a strong, efficient society. The problem with this, however, is that it just isn't true. Africa already had strong, efficient societies prior to the transatlantic slave trade and European imperialism. Mansa Musa, for example, the ninth martyr of Mali, was said to be the world's richest man, with a wealth equivalent to $400 billion today. That's almost twice as rich as Jeff Bezos. In fact, Monte Musa was so rich that when he went on a religious pilgrimage to Mecca, he stopped by Cairo and gave away so much free gold that the value of gold in Egypt took 12 years to recover. Mali was efficient in its gold mining and efficient in its political structures too, with this being an empire that lasted over 400 years. That's almost as long as the British Empire. There are many other great and well-researched examples of strong, developed kingdoms and even empires in Africa that contradict this image of a weak, undeveloped and defenseless Africa inhibited by the slave trade and colonialism. The Songhe Empire, the Luba Empire, the Kingdom of Ghana, we can go on forever. The point being made here, however, is that it's clear that Africa wasn't this impoverished, dark continent whose history and humanity only really began with European contact. The idea isn't easy to fight because of the colonial matrix of power, or coloniality, which is the way in which the world was shaped through the lens of European imperialists, who justified the rape, conquest, destruction and reconstruction of the world as they saw it by arguing that Europeans were modern, the home of modernity, human logic and rational thinking. Everywhere else, as a result, was barbaric, unchristian, savage, devoid of education, art, science, culture, everything you can name. Therefore, we, the colonists, need to educate everyone else. We need to teach them how to be modern, how to be European, which they believed was the same as being human.
To be European was to be the Cartesian man, a shining example of human rationality, the evolved being. Whilst other races clearly weren't European, they weren't modern, but they could aspire to be European. They could aspire to be modern if only they started to think like us. That's what the colonists thought. This is the rationale behind the Spanish crown granting authority and land to their conquistadors in Latin America, as long as they pledged to teach indigenous people how to speak Spanish, how to organize their society, how to read the Bible, and how to be a proper Christian. How to be a European, really. A human is what Europeanness was equated to, because everything else was inhuman, and therefore a worthy target for rape, murder, destruction, and genocide. The civilizing mission of modernity was brutal. By the virtue of simply having darker skin, indigenous people had thousands of years of culture, science, technology, and epistemologies, or knowledge, relegated and trodden on by the boot of European modernity and coloniality. The Spanish ordered entire libraries to be burnt to the ground, knowledge that is now lost forever. Who knows what was written in those books? Up to 90% of Latin America's indigenous population died as a result of what may very well be history's worst genocide. In reality, racism and white supremacy weren't the motivating factors here. They were merely the justifications for this colonial endeavour. Early capitalism was the main game here, working indigenous people to death so that Spanish, Portuguese, British, French and Dutch people could enrich themselves with the mineral and resource wealth of the land that they referred to as the New World. Over in Africa, a similar situation occurred. First, they defined the black native inhabitants as African. They chose a Roman name for a northern province of the continent that is in modern day Libya. They then made dirty what it is to be African and continued this process for centuries. To be African became synonymous with lacking souls, lacking civilization, lacking writing, lacking responsibility, lacking development, lacking human rights, lacking democracy. Africans in Africa is always lacking in something that only Europeans can give, and give they did. First, it was the preachers with their Bibles, then it was the colonists with their empire, and the statesmen and institutions with their democracy, their policies, their good governance, and now, it's the NGOs with their Western educations and Western forms of development that, I mean, at first look, it's good, you know, education's good. But why aren't we learning in African languages? Why does everything have to be learned in English and in French? Why can't we learn in, in Yoruba, you know? Why can't we learn in Wolof? Why can't we learn in African languages for African countries? Surely that makes sense. Indigenous African knowledge cultures and epistemologies have always been cast away as being barbaric, mystical and irrational. Under coloniality, entire societies were to be reshaped in the eyes of the European colonist.
racial, sexual, ideological, epistemic, cultural, religious, aesthetic, military, and even patriarchal hierarchies were all imposed upon Africa, with African approaches in all of these dimensions at the very bottom of the order, the new European colonial order, whilst European approaches were obviously at the very top. This was the world that was to be, the world that they shaped. This is why an African degree today from an African university will get you absolutely nowhere. In fact, many institutions in Western countries don't even accept African degrees. On the other hand, a Western degree from a Western university, that would open the door to the world for you. Hence why through this example, Hopefully you can form an idea of how colonial domination, of how coloniality still governs Africa today, even decades after the end of imperialism, or should I say the official end. These hidden forms of colonization came about through violence, but they persist through the non-violent imperial legacies of reshaping and renaming African societies through a colonial perspective. Africa's borders have barely changed from the 1884 arbitrarily drawn borders of the Berlin Conference, where a bunch of literal white supremacists carved up a continent with zero consideration over the 100 million human beings and more living there at the time. Entirely new nations were created, nations that never existed before putting together ethnic groups and cultures and communities that had many times in their histories been at war. You see, they named these countries after rivers and geographic landscapes that they actually renamed, funnily enough. Look at the River Niger, for example, from which the two nations of Niger and Nigeria derived their name. Joliba, Orimiri, Isa, Toribeni, Kwara, these are all native names from actual ethnic groups and cultures living in or around the area, right, for that very same river that European colonists renamed to the River Niger. They preferred the River Niger because these names I just mentioned, these are barbaric names. They weren't Christian, they weren't European in origin, they weren't modern, they had nothing to do with European modernity as they saw it. And so they preferred the name Niger, which was given to the river by Leo Africanus, a Roman name for a dude born in South Spain, in Granada, right? Nowhere near the river or its inhabitants. This is a perfect example of the privileging of European knowledge over indigenous African knowledge and how this shaped Africa today as we know it. Country names and geographic borders are ultimately things that can be changed. And they have been changed, although through war and destruction. What is more difficult to change, however, is who we are as a continent. As Africans. As Africa. When 10-year-olds in European and North American schools see us through the lens of a 500-year-old coloniality, as a backwards, unmodern landscape devoid of technology, only good for hot weather, safaris and cool animals. I ask, how do we change a perception that is so far-reaching 
that even little children aren't immune to it. How do we challenge coloniality and all of its racial, sexual, gender, religious and cultural hierarchies? How do we challenge this? How do we end the white supremacy of European modernity? How do we undo this belief that to be European and only European is to be rational, modern and universal? How do we go back to a pluriversal world? How do we go back to the non-capitalist, non-colonial world prior to 1492? One where different and genuinely different societies existed all around the world. We didn't have nations and states everywhere. We had sultanates, shardams, dynasties, shoguns, rajas and more. How do we undo this world where every corner of this planet is covered by the concept of states and statehood? whose very genealogical and epistemic origin lays in the European treaties of Westphalia. How do we undo this? There's a lot of work to do, understatement of the year. The very first thing we need to do is at least recognise. Recognise that what is normal isn't actually normal. It isn't actually universal. It isn't actually human, in a sense. It's just cultural. Everything is cultural. Once we recognise how coloniality affects everything and governs all of our day-to-day -day social interactions, once we do that, we can at least do our best individually to, to not be colonial, you know, to not endorse coloniality. And that starts with small things like, like I don't know, maybe, you know, not dismissing other people's cultures as barbaric or mystical or you know superstitious maybe we need to just respect that different cultures exist and different ways of thinking exist and as africans that's what we need to do first we need to realize what does african mean you know we need to answer that question for ourselves and then once we've answered that question well we can go from there if you've enjoyed this video, please let me know by dropping a like, a comment, or even better, subscribing to my channel so I can grow and maybe access more, you know, help and resources from YouTube. Um, I really do enjoy feedback, so honestly, fire away. It's the only way I can learn. Um, I'm going to leave a link to all the sources I reference for this video in the description. Thanks for watching and kwaheri. That is the Swahili, Swahili sorry, way of saying goodbye.